0: This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hello, and with me, Cam Rossland today, we have the returns of, she is the voice of news. Um, <laughs> she's the voice that we trust here on BFM, Danya Nye.
1: Hi, I missed you guys so much. You have to come back straight away for our second week.
0: Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. No, no, we, I asked for it. And he is the voice of, well, he's the voice of tech to me, but he's so much more than that. He's a consultant of some description. He is Matt Armitage. Hey Cam, lovely to be here again. Great to have you. And uh, our three topics today are, when is it too old, sorry, when is an actor too old to be a leading man, or or a leading woman for that matter? And um, topic number two is, why do robots have to look human, or do they have to look human? And finally, uh, topic number three is my Taylor Swift conundrum. So um Danya, ageism. Go.
1: <laughs> it's not about ageism. I I said, I said, to be exact, I said, how long should a an actor or actress be a leading man or leading woman? Um, and I don't think that has to necessarily have anything to do with age. Um, I think it's more of like the film or the TV series itself and the kind of um actor you have played I, I think the easiest example would be tom cruise tom cruise okay. you know what he's like 50 50 years old plus i think um and mm-hmm. he sort of maintained this um i'm a young guy kind of uh leading actor and i'm gonna have a younger actress who's like old enough to be my daughter play my partner in it almost um i i th- I don't know, it just feels very I feel like we've come to a point in our content where we can move past it. And I, I don't think we need to necessarily do like a you know graphic treatment of actors to make them look younger or anything like that. But I just think like it's time to move away from that because older actors can be lead lead characters in a movie. I just think that it could be done so much better. It's, it's like getting to a point where I, I first thought about this when I was watching an Indian movie, actually, because the lead character was this guy who was like in his 60s and his son had also joined movies and was also being a lead actor. So it was like a very weird conundrum to like watch these people and think, oh yeah, you're a leading actor with some girl who could probably date your son who's also a leading actor. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, yeah. So it's just, it's just a weird, it, sometimes when I watch the movies or I watch a TV show, it kind of ruins the experience. I don't know how you guys feel about it. It's just more like, like, let's be a bit more real. I, I mean, film, films aren't like about real things all the time, but, you know, like, we don't have to keep pushing this whole, yeah. like, let's let's have Tom Cruise I, be in every movie where he's young and he's well, uh, fantastic, you know, that kind of thing, you know?
2: Matt, yeah. If, if you could it another way, it's actually about progress for women in Hollywood because I think someone like looked into this a while ago and they said there was often a discrepancy of about fifteen years between a leading man and a leading lady um, so she would generally be about fifteen years younger so now we have male action stars in their 60s as tom cruise is. whereas before you know it only went up to uh, the 60s so that means women can now have leading up to their mid-40s <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah
0: and also with uh, benefits to um shorter actresses um if you're in a movie with tom cruise they will cast shorter <laughs> actresses um uh, yeah no i i think about this a lot actually daniel i agree with you and it is uh confusing see in indian cinema as well if if the actress uh gets married isn't that kind of the end of their leading role career i mean if they get married in real life
1: i mean not necessarily i think uh like maybe in the 90s 80s it would have been a lot more like that i think nowadays is a bit better but there is definitely a sense of once they get married they sort of take time to like take care of their family and things like that. And then they, it's a bit of like a struggle for them to make a comeback after, at least um, if you think about Indian movies, like actresses, I don't know if you guys have heard of them, but like um, Madhuri Dixit or Karishma Kapoor, actresses like those who were like really big in the nineties. Then they went and got married and then we just sort of this, yeah, I'm going to take time for my family and just, you know, it takes a while for them to get back into like the cinema um. But for some reason, like, 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 you know, I love, I love Khan. Um, <laughs> I love Rukh Khan. But like, <laughs> sometimes when I when I just watch him, and I, I can't, I find it difficult to watch him in movies these days. Not because his acting has gotten you know worse or anything like that. If anything has gotten better, but it's just he's too just, old. Yeah, it's a sense so, and, and because <laughs> because I've seen him when he was at his so called peak. You know, it, it's hard to to watch it and be like yeah you're still you're still you know yeah. you're
0: still young and you're still yeah. great no and, I I, I you agree with you. also but actually if you go to Italian cinema um in Italian movies they um they like their women older and in French cinema as well um but I I would say it's it's probably it must be a virtue of the societies that these films come from that you are um you know you have energy you're alive you are an essential part of the world um, up to a certain point. And then you are considered to be no longer having the energy and the life to to do that. Because for male actors as well, I mean, you you can you definitely won't be the romantic lead, but past a certain age, but you you would even lose significance. You're the father, the grandfather, you're the grandfather, and you sit there and you say wise things, and then when the zombie apocalypse happens, you're the first to die. And <laughs> you know, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. <laughs> Past a certain age, it's just not you're know, not valid anymore.
1: But I think that just means we need to be making different types of yeah movies, then, mm-hmm. isn't it? I mean, in Hollywood, yeah. especially, I assume you stick to a certain kind of movie because you know it makes money, and you know there's a certain success that comes with it. But I I just think that there's a that we have come like we're coming to a society where everyone is so. Is is more aware of like things like like ageism. And I think it's time to think about the types of movies and, and the type of content we would get would be so much more diverse and so much more fulfilling if you we were to think about that. That's yeah.
0: Oh, but I just thought what good one. Um oh gosh, what's her name? Uh Murder She Wrote. Uh Jessica, that that, that was the character's name. Um Matt Angela Lansbury. No, oh, the Angela, Angela Lansbury. Lansbury. <laughs> so Angela Lansbury in a very early movie from the 50s, she played the mother of the lead. And she was only five years older than the actor, Um, but she played the mother. And she was told, and and also the the actress Shelley Winters, and she told the same stories, that early on in your career, play character roles, play older roles as fast as possible. Do not play the pretty girl as fast as possible. Then you will have a much longer career. And sure enough, Angela Lansbury, is was she i think she died last year had an incredibly long and uh successful career so you, if you can throw away well, the pretty uh, the pretty thing fast
2: yeah i i mean i think um what was one from a couple of years ago ellen barkin who was uh starring in the uh netflix uh, uh, uh show animal kingdom right. and uh she was kind of unceremoniously booted from the show penultimate season she was kind of slowly written out and she gave a lot of interviews saying that um, she thought it was because there was pressure from other cast members that she looked too old so there was a lot of pressure on set for her to be replaced they actually introduced a character which was uh, the young version of her to kind of in theory explain her backstory but just to bring in a a conventionally pretty uh, younger actress in in her role. So it's interesting that I think think some gains have been made. I mean, if you look at a lot of the the kind of um, TV shows rather than films, there's less of a discrepancy now between the the leading actors. So they seem to be paying attention to it, whether that is uh, Dick, Dictated by commercial forces, or whether that's dictated by um, more societal ones, not really sure. But certainly, a lot of the shows that I watch tend to have middle aged leading characters. And there seems to be a lot more of that content on the streaming platforms, but I think you're right. It's not making its way into the, the kind of Hollywood realm, apart from the, the evergreens like, you know, Tom Cruise, Arnold Schwarzenegger, mm. um, Stallone, unfortunately, who still gets to make those horrible, horrible uh, mm. movies, whatever the franchise is, is called, um, mm. even though, you know, in Dreadful since the first one.
0: Expendables mad
2: and you know it um ah the expendables yeah, yeah, yes yeah. so, so well, uh, no because I, I i love i love statham but
0: yeah because well mm, uh so Danya, um aside from just uh boycotting sharuk khan movies i'm not
1: i'm not boycotting <laughs> no,
0: of course not <laughs> um what does it mean maybe perhaps it means you're you yourself are transitioning away from the from i mean you're no longer satisfied with with uh, you know young pretty pretty mean girls type movies type thing
1: yeah probably this I mean isn't that just a sign of the aging though
0: that's great I every time you're on <laughs> it's just it's just always good news to me I, it's just fabulous come come to the old side of the force um okay I know I but Daniel I agree with you. I, I watched a very good film I thought I really liked it but Kevin Costner was something like 20 years older than 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 uh, Jennifer Garner, um, yeah, and it was eh. okay. So part two decided to swap things around a bit here. So my Taylor Swift conundrum, I have set a challenge to Tay Tay, um, <laughs> of which she is aware. I'm sure. No, which it's a very simple one. It's like I know we all know that Taylor Swift is the biggest thing in uh, popular music at the moment. I think, Danya, wouldn't you agree? Yes, bigger?
1: yes, for sure, for sure. Yeah?
0: yeah, but I, I want her music to sort of just enter my world somehow naturally. I don't. <laughs> I'm not going to go out of my way. I'm just, you know, if I'm walking along, I hear it. it. I'm watching TV, I hear it. That kind of thing. I'm on the internet, I hear it. As a as opposed to going out of the way. And and in all this time, I've only heard two Taylor Swift songs. Um, one was a long time ago when Astro. I I would be watching Astro, and I think they used to play videos, and they played one song, um which I thought was all right. I can't remember it, and I think it was called Twenty One. Dunya is that? Yes,
1: a... uh, Twenty Two oh, probably. Twenty Two. So Twenty Two. Twenty Two. It was all right.
0: um And then uh, fairly recently, I was watching a movie, and uh, at the end of it, the the credits were rolling, and a song was being sung, and I thought, "It's eh, not too bad." I wonder who did that. I shazammed it, and <laughs> It was uh, Taylor Swift. And it was pretty good. Other than that, though, I have not come across her. But I'm thinking that, you know, when I was younger, the biggest thing was Michael Jackson. And you really couldn't go. You, I don't think you could go through life without hearing Michael Jackson somewhere. Or when disco was happening, Saturday Night Fever, the Bee Gees. It was just everywhere. Um, and in Malaysia. I'm talking about in Malaysia as well. For sure, and I'm just wondering. Well, there's that, that 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 character, the headmaster Seymour, in The Simpsons, who stops himself one day and says, "Oh my God, am I out of touch?" And he decides, "No, the children are wrong," and <laughs> <laughs> and, and so I think maybe the children are wrong. Uh, <laughs> D- Danya, I. Well, we established earlier that your world is getting closer to mine, but there is a separate. You are familiar with Taylor Swift, are you not?
1: I am. Um, I think also it depends on, especially now with music, the the, the music gets popular through TikTok and Instagram. Uh, have you have you sort of done this thing where you- You know,
0: go- you know what the answer is going to be? No. You know it's going to be that. <laughs> no. no, do you I, have an
1: Instagram? Do you have an Instagram?
0: <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> no, I do. I do. I do. do.
1: Yeah. Okay. So if if you were just to spend, just talk about Taylor Swift around your phone for a few seconds, um, and then uh, and then just go onto Instagram Reels and you just start swiping. Eventually, you're going to see something that maybe it's not specifically a Taylor Swift like reel or a Taylor Swift video, but it will use her music. Generally, that's how, it, especially with TikTok. It's even Instagram is considered like old, older already for like an older generation, but TikTok in general is where all the music gets popular these days. Radio is not really the place anymore, nor, nor is it like TV or any kind of like, you know, countdown kind of show. TikTok is the place if you want your music to become popular. Because, because generally everyone makes a video, everyone will grab like a piece of audio from the music and just sort of fit it into a TikTok video. Um but with Taylor Swift, I would say if you if you know if it's gonna be a natural thing, probably it's gonna be in like a movie or something. If you're not gonna, I'm assuming you're not gonna download like uh, TikTok after this or anything.
0: I, mean, I don't, have, TikTok. have TikTok. I got TikTok. <laughs> All
1: right, no, just yeah, just just <laughs> if you don't want to do that though, because I'm not sure. But you you probably fall into it. It's easy to fall into the habit of scrolling through the reels. Honestly, I,
0: Dania, I love the way you are trying so hard to be not patronizing. <laughs> I'm trying. <laughs> It it's adorable, really. <laughs> um
1: but if you just honestly that's the most natural way to do it, besides just sort of like all right standing on the radio and hoping she comes on.
0: Okay, okay. Um, okay, Zuma. And uh <laughs> so Matt, you and I are the same age, but you're much more hip than me, and you keep your finger on the pulse. Um have you I mean, do you what's your connection with Taylor Swift?
2: My connection with Taylor Swift isn't so much the the music. I'm aware of her music, but not particular songs because you know they don't, they don't really speak to me. They don't interest me particularly. So I, I don't generally know if it's Taylor Swift or any one of ten other people who's singing the songs on the the reels or whatever. But I'm much more aware of her in terms of her. Role as kind of an advocate and an, and an activist. Um, yeah, me, me in, too. Me too. Yeah, me too. yeah. In terms of you know, sort of agitating for uh, artists' rights, um, pushing for sort of fair distribution of uh, royalties and monies and also for for pushing social causes. So I'm much more aware of her from that point of view, and of course as a as a uh, uh, an, an economic juggernaut as well. You know, this um, a lot of the the coverage over the last few months about. Um, how much how many billion dollars having a, a Taylor Swift date can add to a, a a city's kind of GDP uh so yeah so I'm very much aware of her as a cultural force but not so much um in terms of the the, the music and as a as a musician I guess
0: yeah and so I mean our spaces are becoming very separated mm. um but danya I mean do you do you think that I don't know, I'm just picking on you because you're like, you know, representative of the younger <laughs> people. Um, you're, are, you're, are you finding things by serendipity?
1: Uh,
0: or are you getting as, as siloed as me?
1: It's definitely a bit siloed, I would say, especially because most of the content is basically like internet. something from a platform that's internet based. Um, and it's then that's generally based on an algorithm or like you know your searching habits so that definitely comes becomes a bit siloed. Um, In general I try to like break that up a bit by seeing by asking other people what they watch or what they listen to. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's a healthy way of like finding out what what happens outside of what other things that I'm normally interested in. because otherwise you do get kind of stuck in the content that you consume. It just sort of leads you to more similar content, I would say.
0: Yeah, and that's a bad thing. Uh, I'm not, um, so, I mean I'm if, not sure. if you are happy
1: in that <laughs> in that situation, I think it's fine. Uh, Who's oh, to right. say it's wrong? You know, don't don't, that's, you know, don't need to deviate from something you love. It's kinda yeah. like going to a restaurant and ordering the same thing over and over again. But yeah,
0: what, what's wrong with that? Yeah.
1: There's nothing wrong with that.
0: Danya, just show grandpa some respect. Um
2: <laughs> But and... To to that to that point, actually, um, about, you know, how we get put in these kind of algorithmic silos, it is worth um, sort of throwing these wild cards at the algorithms every once in a while, just to force them to feed you a different kind of content, because I find that mm-hmm. YouTube in particular is very narrow in the way that it, it channels content to you. So I kind of go out of my way to retrain the YouTube algorithm every sort of few weeks or few months, hmm. because it does start to serve me up um, too much of a, a kind of echo chamber of of content. But I do find that the the music algorithms are a little bit more open to sort of discovery uh, than the algorithms on some of the other platforms. Uh, uh, Matt, can I ask you? She's
0: follow up something from Danya said, which is actually potentially very chilling if true. Um, she was saying just now, if you if you literally talk about taylor swift around your phone um, then instagram will react and will give you taylor swift
2: is that true no i mean i've heard all, this all of all of the studies have kind of shown that this tends to to just be circumstance and coincidence uh, because somebody like taylor swift is talked about so often that you're likely to intersect with a piece of content uh, relating to her sort of sooner or later. So you're making that connection back to what you spoke about rather than it listening to you. Now, if you're using something like uh, an Amazon Echo, uh, for example, which is linked to a platform that is deliberately there to, to serve you goods, you should check your privacy settings to see whether it is actually listening to snippets of conversations and processing those but in general with things like siri google assistant uh no they're not listening to you and facebook can't listen to you this is the the thing that people are sort of constantly saying facebook and instagram are are listening to you as far as anyone can determine uh no they aren't
0: so actually what it really means is you you have lost touch um And, and the kids are right The
1: kids are right oh, yeah. No longer a kid, damn it
0: <laughs> Yeah, yeah um, Okay, well, I'm going to con- so, uh, Alright, one last thing Which is with Taylor Swift which uh, I'm scared that I, I'm i going to have to do a deep dive Into Taylor Swift's music Because, I mean, she's so huge And I'm not listening i got, got to check it out My fear is What if I like her music? I think I will like it But what if I love it? What if I sort of go Oh my God, i got to take my David Bowie and my Beatles and I've got to burn them and I've just got to replace him with, Taylor, with Tay-Tay. And I don't know. I, I don't think my, I cannot cope with that, Daniel. But why,
1: why can't Taylor Swift sit alongside, you know, Bowie and the Beatles? Like, why what's wrong with that?
0: There, there's not enough room on the throne. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you can build a second shelf, but like, put Taylor Swift on the second I, it, shelf.
0: <laughs> it genuinely frightens me. Matt, I um, anyway.
2: And also, Cam, where do you start? Do you start with the original versions of the albums or the re-recorded versions of the albums? I oh, mean, dear God. Exactly. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, if you want to financially, you want to like support Taylor Swift, you do the re-records, I would say. Yes.
2: Yeah. But then, you see, you're talking to two people who are of a generation where anyone who re-records their work is doing a cheap cash-in, uh, on things that they recorded sort of 30 years ago. So anyone seeing, uh, you know, a, a re-recording of, uh, say, Alphaville is going to go, oh, I'm not listening to that. That's going to be <laughs> awful. It's recorded on, you know, somebody's borrowed keyboard in uh, whatever facility they're drying out in this month. So
0: Right. And uh, this is uh, Joni Mitchell. Joni Mitchell redid did her... Um things when her voice completely changed and she she, she resang things in a whole new register and it's very brilliant very brilliant um okay Danya, i will email you afterwards um (laughs) and you will give me i gotta do it i really gotta do it i gotta do Do it it. (laughs) yeah yeah oh i'm scared i'm scared okay so um we took a short break but in a moment we're going to find out um, I was going to say, do um, androids dream of electric sheep? But it's, uh, <laughs> do we need robots to look like humans? Here on A Bit of Culture on BFM 89.9. Welcome back uh, with myself, Cam Russell and Dania Naya and Matt Armitage. And now Matt Armitage. Robots, do they need to look like humans?
2: Well, this is actually the third time uh, I'm attempting this, and I've got a feeling that the robot overlords are actually trying to interrupt me to stop me talking about this (laughs) particular topic. Because every time I seem to say the word robot, there's a, a timeout and nobody can hear what I'm saying. So... I do a lot of work with uh, kind of artificial intelligence, um, looking at kind of the impact of technologies like chat GPT, how they're being integrated into our working lives, into our daily lives. So we're getting used to having these robots, these invisible robots, helping us with daily tasks, coming up with memes and silly pictures for us, uh, or for you know, doing all of these assistant things, Alexa, Siri, and all of these functions. Now, of course, we don't think of these as being robots in a traditional sense, because they live in a cloud, they don't have any corporeal form. But when we think about robots, we think about that kind of image from science fiction, we think about a robot that's on two legs, it may be made out metal, it may have some kind of artificial android skin. But generally, they tend to be bipedal they have two arms and they're very kind of human looking in appearance and if you look at um, you know the examples from science fiction asimov for example um, a lot of the content is about the robots wanting to be taken as human beings and we see that in uh, a lot of content i robot the, the will smith film which is loosely based on asimov as well but there's a lot of examples in the the kind of canon of fiction of these humanoid robots but the thing is making a humanoid robot is really hard it's much easier to make a robot with lots of legs uh, rather than one that stands upright to make a humanoid robot requires uh, a lot more motors a lot more processing and also a lot more computing power uh, because it turns out that walking on two legs is one of the most difficult things you can do. So if you ever watch any of those clips from Boston Dynamics and you see those robots doing parkour, that is a a phenomenal feat. But one of the reasons that you often see those machines tethered is because they need so much computing power to do it. It's not possible to put it onto the machine on its own. Whereas they've had uh, robot dogs, uh, robot. Uh, sorry dog style robots working commercially for a number of years I think uh, Singapore uh, has actually bought some and has uh, trialed them and they're used in uh, things like uh, mines for deep mining so they go down and they can uh, sniff out uh, things like gas leaks they can check equipment they can go into places that aren't safe for human beings so If we have all of this artificial intelligence technology, if we have this ability to put what sounds like human beings into these machines, do we actually want to put them into machines that look like us? Is that going to be more chilling, for example, than putting a human appearing intelligence into something that looks like a dog or a cockroach or a spider or any of these forms that it's actually Far easier to make a robot out of.
0: Mm. Yeah, I mean, presumably we're going to get all of these forms, though, for different tasks. But uh, Danya, you uh, you're the other one is going to. I mean, you, you're going to live with these things more than <laughs> more than us.
1: I don't. Uh, it's hard to wrap my head around accepting it. Not because, um, you know, I don't think technology should advance anything. It's just more of the idea of. Robots becoming if we say robots are becoming more human, and then how do you distinguish between an actual human and a robot, if that makes sense? It kinda have you guys seen that movie with Robert Williams? I think it's called Bionic Man or something yeah. like that. Yeah. It reminds me of that because it just feels like we're we're heading towards a kind of situation where, where like you can, I don't know, where, where robots can can mimic emotions or not really mimic it, but even have actual emotions. So it, it's kind of hard to... if it, it feels like I want it to be foreign enough that I recognize that it's different than me as a human. And I yeah. don't know whether that's the right way to think about it. But the idea of it becoming more and more like this is, is frightening, to say the least. I mean, I, I guess also that's why people are afraid of things like chat GPT and like AI in general, because it seems so close to what we can do. Um,
2: Does it seem more frightening to you if you have that kind of human level intelligence in something that looks like a human or in something that looks like some kind of machine with, you know, multiple limbs?
1: I mean, I think, I think the the machine with multiple legs would be horrifying also, (laughs) but in a lesser extent, (laughs) because because I, I don't know, there's a lesser, there's a lesser kind of, fear that for some reason, because I know it's it's foreign, whereas with a, if it looked like a human, I would there would be some kind of I don't that's not confusion, but but I would I would feel conflicted about it for sure.
0: I got the question is when the great robot uprising happens, and it will happen, um, does Danya want to get killed by a robot that looks like Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> or one that looks like a terrifying giant centipede? <laughs> Uh, or a fridge, the for that matter. You choose a centipede. <laughs> uh, but you, uh, Mag, you mentioned the Boston Dynamics. Boston Dynamics is that what it's called? Yeah, I think so.
2: Uh, b- yeah. Boston Robotics. Sorry, Boston yeah.
0: Robotics. Yeah. And in those ones, they have the. I've seen the ones where it's the the bipedal, the human like one moving, and also the dog like one. Yeah. And then the the scientists will come along and kick them really hard to try to push them over. And these are metal things, right? It, I mean, we I say it's dog-like. It just has four legs. It yeah. doesn't look anything like a dog. But whenever I see the, the scientist kick, I and mean, he's just kicking, he's like shoving, kicking really hard, these, these things, trying to make him fall over, that really gets me.
2: Gets you in the sense that it, you you feel an emotional response towards yeah. the cruelty, yeah, yeah Oh, yeah. I, absolutely. I mean, there there are. Uh, I think in probably a couple of um, uh, election cycles ago, there was a, a party that ran in certain states in the U.S. presidential election with a, a bill of rights for artificial intelligence uh, to codify how we actually treat these machines and how we integrate them into, you know, our homes and our, our daily lives. Now, obviously, everyone thought that that was completely ridiculous. And, you know, six years later, we've got chat GPT and all of these things are in our lives and we have no legislation to actually uh, govern or, or cope with them. Um, but, but yes, these are very real kind of issues, these moral and ethical dilemmas regarding to to how we treat these machines because there's a uh, you know you talk about the the kind of eventual robot uprising but of course if we treat the machines as slaves and they sort of slowly become sentient then of course they will rebel against the so-called masters who are enslaving them so we do need these kind of regulations to to say how we treat they, the machines and and how Intelligent, we allow them to become. But they can't feel pain. I mean, well, you you say that, but actually, there's a, a story out that I covered this oh, please week, don't which tell is me robots feel pain. <laughs> no, which is actually about um, installing um, uh, simulations of pain receptors in an artificial skin for robots, because that will actually help them to grip objects. Because it's not enough just to give them sensors to to show what kind of force we also have an aversion to picking up certain things because we know it will induce pain so i think it's that the nanjing um institute of technology in china has come up with these um uh, artificial pain uh sensors for robots that will give them that same kind of proprioception that that we have uh, relating to the the the, the pain response Well oh, Danya, the world you're inheriting is
0: going to be
1: amazing I, just, uh, I mean i is uh does that mean there'll be things like rights for robots and things like that i mean i don't know what i'm going to like very science fictiony kind of the direction right now but it feels,
0: yeah is, feels it, like, is that science fictiony or is I that
1: don't, i don't know because because that's like if they if, if they get to a point where they can feel pain because of these kind of technological developments and Like, I don't know, is that a possibility, Matt?
2: Like, I mean, it's a simulation of pain. The real issue is about sort of sentience. And that's why there was a a lot of debate when uh, Google's safety board let go a number of the people who were on that safety board who were raising concerns about um, the ethics of Google's AI programs and how far they were moving towards... uh, Artificial general intelligence (AGI) that could potentially one day um, develop sentience, because that's really what it's about. It's about sentience. It's about determinism and and free will. Once you have a sentient machine that has intelligence, then you get into these kind of moral arguments about but, you know determination.
0: But but also the 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 one industry that is always um, testing limits and leading the way in these things is the sex industry.
2: Absolutely. Um, and yes, um, there are a number of, uh, sex robots, uh, that have integrated AI. And uh, now because of the, the costs of very advanced AI, they're not sort of on the same kind of level as sort of the, the chat GPTs because those, you know, cost billions of dollars to, uh, to develop. But yeah, um, there are, uh, sex robots that, um, uh, do respond to commands, uh, do have conversations with the person and beyond sort of just, you know, sexual stimulus, they will have a general conversation with the person. And there have been instances. I think there was a guy in Detroit. This is going back a few years um, who had a relationship with one of these uh, AI equipped machines and wanted to marry her. And we've seen, I think in Japan as well, where, People have tried to to uh, men. Obviously, have tried to marry sex robots.
0: Mm. And I, I was kind of joking when I said about the um, robot uprising, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, after this, I'm going to go and be very nice to my fridge uh, <laughs> <laughs> before hey, it com- curdles your milk <laughs> or, or just chases me around the apartment. Um, okay. Well, thank you once again, Matt. You always bring good cheer. to to a bit of culture. So we move on. We move on now to uh, recommendations. We recommend something that we think might be of interest. And Adanya goes first.
1: Yeah, I I, I wasn't so sure what I was going to recommend until I heard your topic, Cam. But I'm going to recommend uh, the documentary Miss Americana. It's on Netflix and it is about Taylor Swift. Um, And I would recommend diving into that because I think it's interesting to watch how how she thinks, how she responds, especially to how she's been treated in the music industry and just by the public itself. I feel like Taylor Swift is uh, recently one of the most sort of vilified musicians for like small small reasons or things being brought out of proportion. And, and I think it it's a good uh, sort of segue into her music as well, because it gives you an idea of how she writes her music um as well. So I okay. would recommend that. Mr. The, Americana on Netflix
0: You would recommend that before actually just listening to the music just that, that, if, that if, is...
1: if you're a little bit like If you don't want to go into the music straight away And you want to, you know Just watch how she is as a person That's, it, it, it's quite interesting to watch Um, especially, especially when I was younger When she was still kind of revered And there was a portion of time When she was sort of hated by everyone And she didn't like mm-hmm. appear for Yeah, there was a period where she was hated by or oh, it seemed like everyone hated her that she kind of disappeared for about two years and then came out again after that. So it's an interesting sort of like part of her life to watch, I would say.
0: Okay. I and just to be clear, you do write Taylor Swift.
1: I do write I I I am like a convert. I was one of those people who like was like, kind of unsure about her. And now I'm like, no, she's great. Like her music's great. There's no need to deny it. Kind of, yeah.
0: Yeah, I got I gotta do it. I gotta do it. I gotta do it. Just I, do it. You know, I gotta do it. I gotta all right. Miss Americana. Yeah. Um, on Netflix, yeah? Yes, on Netflix. Okay. So Netflix is going to get a lot of love on Biddy Culture today because my <laughs> recommendation is also a Netflix thing. Now, a few weeks ago, I recommended a Polish Netflix show called 1670, which is brilliant, by the way. And I pointed out, though, that it perhaps did require a certain amount of knowledge of um, Polish history and uh, knowledge of the history of the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth of the uh, 1600s. And not everybody... <laughs> Not everybody has that <laughs> kind of knowledge that, that I do. So um, I, I want to recommend a Polish thing which doesn't require any such knowledge whatsoever. It's called High Water. It was a big hit on Netflix for a Polish um, television production, television series. And it's it's basically about how a flood, a massive flood hit the city of, well, it's called Wroclaw, but it was once upon a call on a time called Breslau. And, uh, and I think the characters actually still refer to it as Breslau. Um, and it's, uh, it's just really good. And it was a success around the world because I think a lot of people from, um, because it's set during the communist times, oh, sorry, just after the communist times. And, but I think a lot of people around the world would, would recognize the dysfunctional government and government employees trying to put on a brave face and trying to make it work in this, Some people call it Chernobyl with water, and um, it's very good. It's called High Water. I really enjoyed it. I I mean, seriously, Polish people, they know how to make films. They are excellent, excellent filmmakers. So that's my recommendation, High Water.
2: Uh, Matt. Uh I also have a recommendation, but not a, a Netflix one. Mine is for uh, Apple TV. <laughs> uh and it's uh season three of Slow Horses. Ah, uh, season three. Three already, three. Yeah, three already, yeah. They oh. always they always come out um beginning of December. Um it's one of the few series that uh, actually comes out every year now. Uh, Partly because they shoot two seasons back to back So you always get a trailer for next year's season At the end of the one you're watching Which just makes it even more exciting for me Um, Now I thought season two uh, of the show was not so great Um, Season one was uh, very, very strong Uh, If you don't know what it is It's based on um, the Slough House series of books By a writer called Mick Herron uh, and it's uh, about uh, a bunch of uh, spies who've uh, disgraced themselves and they're sent to this place called Slough House and they're looked over by um, this uh, supposedly decrepit but uh, incredibly dangerous spymaster called Jackson Lamb, who is perfectly encapsulated uh, in the adaptation by Gary Oldman. Um you know I I loved him in the Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy and it was mm. such a shame that they they didn't do a sequel to, to that Cam is disagreeing with me. No, I'm disagreeing um, with him. <laughs> yeah, but he's he's perfect in this. I mean, he looks slovenly, he looks washed up, but he still has that ability to you know, go into that, that kind of Gary Oldman of sort of 20 or 30 years ago um, when he has to to do something, you know, sharp or or unpleasant. So it's fun to watch. Uh, it actually adds something to the books. They've deviated quite strongly from the characterizations in the books and it actually adds to what you're watching rather than detracts from it. So it's, it's one of those shows where you can read the books and then watch the season that's based on that book and not be disappointed and it's not a carbon copy of what you've just read either so yeah um if you haven't watched it all three seasons but uh if you haven't seen it yet season three of slow horses
0: i i watched season one it was very good but just to say also it's set in and around london uh yes kind of contemporary it's now um and it's it's really good. It's really good. I I I yeah, season two and three. I, I didn't know three was out. Okay. Hmm, exciting. Mm-hmm. That's slow horses, Danya. Did have you come across uh, no? Maybe. Never heard of
1: it. No. I love I love Gary Ullman, so I definitely will check it out.
0: <laughs> Danya's yeah. like, no, it's full
2: of old people.
0: <laughs> no, Danya's not like that. She's not like that. Um so uh okay. Well that break that Danya, I want to ask you one question. What's it break all right? First let's think of the first thing, okay. Best Sharok Khan, Khan movie. Oh god. <laughs> oh, It's too many, isn't it?
1: It's too many. <laughs> I'm just gonna go for the classic, like Kuch Kuch Hotahe, which is like the most basic Sharuk Khan movie ever. But like I always it brings me so much joy whenever I watch it. You Oh,
0: you watched it more than once?
1: I've oh definitely more than once.
0: <laughs> it's like ten hours long. <laughs> it's <laughs> like
1: three. It's fine.
0: Uh I, I have watched that. It was good. It was good. Yeah, right? It's good. Uh, it's good. Yeah, no. It already had it had it had everything.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, okay, so that brings us to the end of this week's show. Uh, I'd like to thank uh, Matt Armitage. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Hey, by the way, Matt, if robots get to a certain point point, they could walk around your house and do things for you, you'd get one, wouldn't you?
2: Uh, oh, absolutely. Yeah. How do you know I don't have? <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, thank you to evil genius <laughs> Matt <laughs> Armitage. Thank you, uh, Dania I.
1: Thank you. It was fun as always.
0: Yeah, thank you. And myself, Cam Rosslyn, and producer Hanif Baharudin. Thank you. And uh, join us next time. Another exciting episode of A Bit of Culture here on BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station.
1: For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.